got a lot of comments from you folks at the end, as I mentioned to you, sent out a text, let you all know what was what was going on. And I got some questions. I was kind of hoping for more because a lot more people said they had questions on the way out than uh, actually text some back to me, but I got some of them in here. But I have to say one of the most outstanding things that you all commented about was the why the devil went after the woman. Why she went, why, why that was, she was, wasn't that she was the weak link. But there was reasons for it. If you've given any thought to it, I'm wondering if any of you came up with other places where the same tactic was used. This is not a standalone place. This is not the only time that this kind of thing had been going on. There's a lot the Word does not teach us about what happened in the garden. And we were left to speculate. I do not know, and I cannot figure it out from all the clues we can see in the Word. I don't know that the woman was at the tree when the serpent spoke to her. It could very well have been that she was away from the tree. It was spoken to her, and she thought on it. How many times have you had something get in your head, and you think about it for a while, and then there's a temptation? Adam may not have been around her when the serpent was talking, but he was with her when she took from the tree. It is possible that Adam was nearby, saw a conversation going on. Maybe the serpent was at the tree. My own thought on this, when I put myself in that place, is the serpent confronted the woman apart from the tree. She was walking by the tree with her husband. She saw the tree, that it was good she saw that it was pleasant, and she decided to take from the tree and gave to her husband with her. That is the way that I think it went, but I can't prove that. There are some things I can prove in the Word. I can't necessarily prove that, but however it went, there was a reason why she was, she was approached, and I appreciate all the, the comments you got. One person came up to me, and I don't know why I didn't think about this. They went back to the Cosby Show, one of my favorite shows on TV, and where Claire was uh, watching over uh, Cliff, making sure that he didn't get into the stuff he wasn't supposed to get into. What was he had high blood pressure or something like that? And so he had to watch his diet. And you know she watched him like a hawk. And if he got into the wrong thing, then, uh, then that, was, that was spoken about. But if you did any thinking on this, you will notice that in the Word of God, there were other times that this same tactic was used. Do you remember? where This is where the curse started. Where does the blessing start? Where does the blessing in the Word of God start? Abraham. Abraham. And there was a plan that was given to the wife that would have short-circuited the blessing. Would that plan have worked if it was given to the husband? But you see, it was given to the wife and it flourished. Now think of another one. Job lost all his kids Lost his livestock, lost his wealth, lost so much stuff. But what was left for him? One thing we know was left. His wife. And of all the words we have from the wife, what is the one that we know that she said? Why don't you just curse God and die? Can you see how that influence is there? To try and, and get the woman to weaken the man and take him off. Now, I'm going to take you back to a movie. One of the greatest movies ever made. And it's not Star Trek. <laughs> I love Star Trek. But one of the greatest movies ever made was centered right here in Philadelphia. In fact, we have a statue out about it. 
the Rocky movies. I think they are some of the greatest movies ever made. If you, how many people have never seen Rocky 1? All right, if you've never seen Rocky 1, this won't make any sense to you. But in Rocky 1, there was a situation. He was, uh, I'm not, no one knew about him as a boxer, but he had an opportunity to take on Apollo Creed. And he was getting his training. How many know there was resistance from his wife and that his wife fell ill? And she was in the hospital. And so the training stopped. He's in the hospital. She finally wakes up. Do you remember what Adrian said to him? One of the great... This thing is burned in my head because I know what this can do. When she finally wakes up and she gets him to come over, come over, and he said, he says, what, what? And she says one thing to him. Remember what she said? Win. Remember that? Oh, it changed the entire outlook of his training. It changed the entire outlook of, his, of him going into the battle. And you remember his coach was right there with him. And his coach, when he heard that, he says, what are we waiting for? <laughs> and then they're off. And then we have the training videos, you know, and all those kind of things that are going on. Why? Because the one word from the wife strengthened him and sent him on the mission. Women, you have the ability to strengthen and reinforce your man to go into battle like nobody's business and you have the ability to undermine him and send him in a wrong direction. The husband cannot do the same thing to the wife that the wife can do to the husband because there are ways we made. That's why we spent some time on there was a helpmate that was there. Now, one person sent me a text. One person sent me a text. And they asked me, you mentioned that there's a whole lot of things that you didn't get into. What are those things? Only one person sent me that text. Only one person got the answer. You see, you don't get the answer if you don't ask the question. I keep telling you about that in this series. This is why we ask, ask God questions. You ask God questions, you get answers. And so I rattled off, I don't know how many, five, six, some of the things that were there just, just that I, I know I avoided. We are going to get into one. That's it. We're going to get into one of these things. However, this one thing is the greatest application you can get from this story in your life. This one thing will give you more application and more daily living changes that you can do in your life. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time here with it. And in order to do that, we're going to be in a couple of passages. First one is over here in Isaiah chapter 14. Verse 3, there was a couple of other quick questions that were, they were sent in. And uh, I'll just I'll hit those because they're pretty short. Um, was the devil allowed access to the garden in the first place? And I don't believe the devil was granted access to the garden. I don't believe he had the ability to get there, which is why he probably went to the serpent. But there may have been other reasons why he went to that. And then this one, I'll get into uh, maybe down the road here, but the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. They didn't die. Instead, they were cursed. So we'll look into that. I'm not going to forget that one, but that's not going to have a a whole lot of bearing in in where we're at today, but it will take a little bit of time, and the understanding of it is, is real important. Another person asked, Adam and Eve, were Adam and Eve allowed to or did they leave the garden? I believe they were fully able to come to and to and from the garden and leave. That is my own personal belief. I can't prove that to you from Scripture. But it did seem that Adam was outside of the garden when he named the animals. And then he was put inside the garden. Uh, but that's just something that I, I kind of believe that was there. Uh, somebody else asked about the barrier. 
Was there a physical barrier or a spiritual batter, uh, barrier? I believe it was a spiritual barrier, which is why the serpent was able to cross it to get in there and to talk to Eve. And are snakes and serpents the same thing in the Bible? As far as I can tell, they are. I have not been able to find any difference between those or in the words that were used. Isaiah 14, verse 3. It shall come to pass in the day that the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and the hard bondage in which you were made to serve, that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased, the Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers. He who struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he who ruled the nations in anger, is persecuted and no one hinders. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. Indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you. The cedars of Lebanon saying, Since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us. Hell from beneath is excited about you. To meet you at your coming, it stirs up the dead for you. All the chief ones of the earth, it has raised up from their thrones and the king of the nations. We're going to stop right here on this. We're not going to dig into all the things that are said about this. I just want you to see the overall pattern here. But did you see that the, the word of God says that hell is excited about your arrival? How many have ever thought certain people in the, wor in, in the world that you see and these certain people just are evil? Evil? I mean, so, so evil you look on them and you just get... Ugh. You just, it just, you just crawl on the inside when you see this evil that is there. And how many have ever had the thought, I can't wait for you to get into hell and to burn? How many have ever thought that? How many want to admit, I am. I am one of those people. There are people on my list and I say, I cannot wait for you. Do not send people to them. I do not want them to repent. I want them to burn the way they are supposed to. <laughs> now, my wife gets on me for that when she hears... We say that about certain ones. She'll, she'll say that, and I say, nope, nope, nope. I, I am not backing off of that one. I got Scripture. I got Scripture right there. <laughs> and if I spend some time with it, I could show you some other ones too, because there are times that God has said, I'm excited to see this one punished. But that's all we're going to do in that one. Hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth. It is raised up from their thrones, all the kings of the nations. They all shall speak and say to you, Have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? You were in a strong position. Now you're in hell. Now you're weak. Now you're uh, just like us. Your pump is brought down to Sheol and the sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot, is spread under you and worms cover you. This is talking about the king of Babylon. This is not the king of Babylon that was around when Daniel was there. This is not Nebuchadnezzar. This is the king that is there when the, when the city falls. And he was an evil king. And we read from Daniel some of the evil things that he was doing. And this is a prophecy about his fall. <clears throat> but this is talking about the king of Babylon. Now, it's important for us to know this and to see this because look at the next verse. This is the very next verse in this. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, 
to the lowest depths of the pit. We all know this scripture. You've probably heard it taught on before. This is talking about the fall of Lucifer. This is not talking about the fall of the king of Babylon. Why is it we go from the prophecy of the king of Babylon and his fall right into the fall of Lucifer? And we start off talking about things that are historical. The prophecy about the king of Babylon is what is to come. This one talks about what has happened and what will happen. How did we go from one to the other? Because in the same way that the, the serpent was cursed, we started off cursing the serpent, the being, or the species of the serpent, and then we moved on into the one that was behind the serpent being different, which was the devil. And that curse was put upon him. The crushing of his head was the head of the devil. This is not the only time, but this is one of those times where we see a prophecy that starts out talking about a person, moves on to the spirit behind the person. In this particular case, it was Lucifer. He was behind the king of Babylon, taking him into all these things to oppress Israel, to destroy Israel, because his goal was to wipe out Israel. If he could wipe out Israel, then the, the seed would not come. The seed of Abraham would be destroyed. So his goal was to take Israel out. And so he, Babylon was one of those places that he was using. And we have this little, little spot here where we're going off talking about Lucifer. Then in verse 16... Well, let me go over these with you just because who knows when we'll get back on this again. This is the famous I wills, five I wills of Satan. He says, first off, I will ascend into heaven. That is not the king of Babylon. The king of Babylon is not ascending into heaven. In fact, it even said that when he would die, hell was excited to greet him. So we can't be talking about that. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. That seems to be the angels, which we know from... Uh, Lucifer's history, he took one-third of the angels with him. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. This is a reference to ruling over Israel. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, or God's people, I should say. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. This is what the devil wanted to try and do. And yet he was going to be brought down, the Word of God says. Verse 16. <clears throat> those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Now see, now we're back on to the king of Babylon. We took a detour because there was an influence behind the king of Babylon. And so the curse was pronounced upon the, the one who was behind the king, the spiritual force that was behind the king. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of its prisoners? And we switch on back to Babylon here. Now, this is not, this is not an unusual pattern in the Word. It will very often talk about the persons who are manifesting what the devil, what the darkness wants to do, the curse will go out upon the man whom gave voice to it and then also to the one that influenced him. Same thing that was going on that we looked at last week with Satan in the garden. Now, Ezekiel 28. We could spend a whole lot more time going into all the details of these prophetic utterances. We're not here to do this, but um, I just want you to see the overall message here. In verse 
1 of Ezekiel 28, the word of the Lord came to me again saying, Son of man, say that a prince of Tyre. Now in the chapter before, he talks about the city of Tyre and how the city of Tyre would fall. Now we're talking about, it says, the prince of Tyre. Thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am a God. I sit in the seat of gods in the midst of the seas, yet you are a man, not a God. He does not call him an angel. He calls him a man. Lucifer is a fallen angel. In the midst of the seas that you are a man, not a God, though you set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, you are wiser than Daniel. Daniel was so well known here, he can be quoted in here comparing that to you. <clears throat> behold, you are, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that can be hidden from you. With your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasures. By your great wisdom in trade, you have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Now, he's not scoffing at his wisdom. He's saying his wisdom was great and his ability to gain riches because of it was well known and that his heart got lifted up because of it. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall throw you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. Will you still say before him who slays you, I am a God? But you shall be a man and not a God in the hand of him who slays you. And you shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of aliens, for I have spoken, says the Lord God. There's no doubt this is a man. This is the prince, as they call it, the attire of that particular city. If this interests you at all, because the chapter before is one of the most incredible prophecies, it is such an incredible prophecy, it has such detail, that people who say they believe in God and write commentaries about the things of God so that you can understand it better, many of them will write about this. This did not happen as a prophecy. This happened as a historical writing because there is no way anyone can get all that right. But they did. And uh, if you're around for the series we did on Ezekiel, you'll know why Ezekiel was used, how Ezekiel was selected, why Ezekiel was able to take such a word like this and speak it. If you uh, weren't around for that, uh, if you go up on the Sermon.net app, you can see the entire series we did on Ezekiel. Just download it or just listen to it. It's all right there. If you just want to skip ahead to 27 and 28, you can do that as well. You can find those and... Uh, and check those things out. It is a remarkable prophecy. And it is a prophecy. And uh, things were, were spoken about this. One of the things that was said <clears throat> in there, just to give you an idea, is that not only, Tyre, are you going to fall, but they're going to scrape the rocks clean. Now, there's no way anybody conquers a city and spends time scraping the rocks clean. But when Alexander came on down to the city of Tyre and Alexander wanted to conquer this city, he conquered the land, the, the mainland area of the city, but there was an island city that was set out. Now, the, the mainland city of Tyre had been conquered before on occasion, but the island city of Tyre had never been conquered because this was an island city. They put walls right up to the shoreline and you'd have to come up by boat and attack the city that way, and no one was able to do it. 
Now, Alexander was a genius as far as warfare was concerned, so he studied this situation. He looked at this and said, how can we conquer this city? Because I'm not leaving until we conquer this city. And so he came up with an idea. He said, we will build a peninsula out to the island city, and then we can take all of our land apparatus that we have, all of our things that we can do to attack a city by land, and then we can take them in there. It's an incredible battle that he did to build this because he was under siege the whole time. It is quite a story in history if you want to go through and, and read all that. But he built this out to it. He then attacked it like a land city, won. And, and, but the way he did that was he went back to the old city, the mainland city of Tyre, and they scraped it clean. They took every boulder, every piece of wood, every shingle, Whatever was used for houses, whatever was used for the wall, whatever was used for building, they carried it all and threw it into the water to build the peninsula out to the city. That is the only reason that it was worthwhile to do. And so this is what they did. And so the prophecies, the incredible prophecies, that's only one of them, the incredible prophecies in Ezekiel of the city of Tyre, you can, uh, if you want to go back to it, it's up there online. It was, I don't know, how many years ago was that? Two, three, something like that. We went over that, so it wasn't too terribly long ago. Verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection. Now, before we had the prince of Tyre, now we have the king of Tyre. Take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection. Now the, the prince of Tyre that it was called before, the one who ruled the city, he was not perfection. But Lucifer, when he was created, was perfect. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. We'll get back to that in just a minute. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald were with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. The one who ran the city of Tyre was not a cherub. This one is. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. There's that term again. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones <clears throat> and you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. And we know that iniquity from the previous one, I will ascend. I will, five I wills. He exerted his will above the will of God. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. He's called the covering cherub, and this is what has brought us to speculate and to understand that Lucifer was a very high cherub, and that he was involved in the worship aspect of things, and was the one that covered, worship, praise, covered. This is our, one of the reasons why they have always su supposed that people that uh, in, a, in a church, worship leaders, always seem to have a weakness. They always seem to be able to go in the wrong direction because Satan himself was a worship leader and knows how to get into their heart. And he knows how his heart fell. And he works towards 
towards doing that. But you can guard against it. You can do that. Now notice this, it said, we said to get back to it, verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Does that mean that the serpent was the devil? Well, you see, the thing is, we go through this, we went through the story last time and the serpent was not called the devil. The serpent was called a created being that God had made. And he seems to be speaking the words of the devil. But it says, you were in Eden. But, this is talking about stuff that was historical. That was in history. We tend to hear things in light of what we know or what we see. There is no saying that the Garden of Eden that is spoken of here is the same Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve were put into. Now, we spent time on this before, and I think some of you that were uh, not here for it, you've gone back up and you've, uh, you've seen some of those. But we showed you in the Word of God, the Word of God does not support the idea that Adam and Eve were the first people on the face of the earth. Adam and Eve are the mother and father of all people that are on the face of the earth now. But there was most certainly a, a group of people here before that. We've gone back again to the, to the book of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was, or the earth became, formless and void. You go back over to, I think it's either a Jeremiah or Isaiah. God did not create the world formless and void. Now, I'm just giving you these things. If, you're, if this is new to you, I can find the, uh, the creation series for you and get that out to you. Can go, we're not going to spend the time over that right now. But uh, creation was done before. The nation, we'll show you this in the scripture in just a moment. But the nations that were here fell into sin and were judged. Now, I'll get you, this is sort of a sidelight on, on this, but demon spirits, where do demon spirits come from? Demon spirits are disembodied spirits. They are spirits that once had a body. Demon spirits are not fallen angels because fallen angels have a body. Fallen angels do not possess people. That's why Satan did not possess the serpent because he has a body. But demon spirits are, are spirits that don't have a body. Jesus teaches us about the spirits that they roam to find a body to get into because they want to take the unrest that is in them and pass it off to the body that they possess so that the peace that is of that body will come upon them and they get at least a little bit of peace from that. That is some of the um, things that go on with that. The disembodied spirits actually came from, in my understanding of it, and there's other letters in Scripture, you can see this as well, the disembodied spirits came from the race of people that were here before. That The world was brought into judgment. Now, if you think, well, that's all a little bit far-fetched, just go back to the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth became, or the earth was, I see it as became, the same word can be translated either way, the earth became formless and void, and darkness was upon the surface of the what? The deep, which means you had water. And in the area of space, you can only have water when certain conditions exist. First off, you need gravity. If you don't have gravity, the water floats off. You have to have heat. Because if you don't have heat, you don't have water. Water only exists in the area above freezing and above the area where it's made steam. That is, in the area of the universe, that is a very small area of temperature. 
So if we have water on the face of the earth, that will tell you right there you have a sun. And the earth revolves around the sun. And the earth has a gravitational field. The six days of creation did not create the earth. The earth was already created. In fact, the word for creation is not used in that. It says, let there be light. In other words, let the laws that operated before that allowed light to come upon the earth operate again. Word of God is not inconsistent. It is very consistent. Now, pick up back over here. This will make more sense. Had to say all that. I know this, for some of you it's just it's review, but had to say all that in order to get to this this spot. You were in Eden, the garden of God, every precious stone. Well, let's just jump on down to 17. That's where we were at. Go to verse 16. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Your corrupt, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. This is talking about the fall of Lucifer. He cast him before who? Kings. Now we know that Adam and Eve, or that, that Lucifer fell before Adam and Eve. What kings are on the earth when Adam and Eve are here? Kings plural. What kings are here? There are none. Satan fell before Adam and Eve ever did. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore I brought fire from your midst that devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. Again, referring to people being on the earth when Satan fell. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. The Word of God also tells us that when He fell as a star from heaven, when He fell, He brought the nations into rebellion with Him. What nations were there? When Adam and Eve are there, and He's already fallen, there are no nations on the earth. There are two people. There was a group of people. There were nations. This earth was inhabited. It became judged. The, the Lord judged it by a flood. The entire earth is covered. The entire earth is covered. Peter refers to this and said the flood that destroyed the world that then was. Most people read that as Noah's flood. It is not because Noah's flood does not destroy the world. It destroys the mammals. The fish are not brought onto the ark. They're still okay. It destroyed the breathing animals. And we could spend time on it and tell you some of the details of what happened with that flood. But during Noah's flood, the entire earth was not underwater. We can prove that from scientifically as well, but also from the Word of God. The Hebrew does not say that the world became underwater. It says the waters were coming and going is the actual Hebrew, in that, which means basically a huge wave circled the earth and, and flooded it that way. When it all settled down, mountains began to appear because it was a different kind of flood. Now, if God flooded the earth in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and then flooded the earth again to uh, judge Noah, can you understand better why God says to Noah, I will not do this again? Because he just did it twice. Noah knows the first story because they not only knew that, they passed it on down so that Peter knew it. We may have forgotten it somewhere in between, but Peter knew about that story. And he said, I'm not going to do it again. Next time I do it, it's going to be by fire. And that's why we have the rainbow that is out there. A lot more, uh, a lot more things you can say about that. But anyway, there's a, this is the second one that we've looked at 
in which we start off with the human person, we go on to the spirit that is behind it, the force that is behind it, in this case, Lucifer, and then we're back on to the, to the man. We talk about the destruction that is there because there's a force behind it. What basically happened was the serpent, the king of Tyre, and the king of Babylon became a spokesperson for Lucifer. The serpent did it and delivered the message either in the garden or near the garden or however it was that he delivered. Delivered the message to Eve. Babylon was doing the bidding that the Lucifer wanted to have happen and to oppress Israel and wipe them out. The same thing happened with uh, Tyre. And there are other places and other situations besides just these. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of them here. There are other serpents in the Word. This is not an exhaustive list. I just want to give you some that you're, you're thinking about these things. And we'll look at these guys just a little bit. But Sennacherib and the Rabshakeh in 2 Kings 18 and 19. They come and they speak defaming things against God. And we're going to look at some of the things that they say. But they were basically a mouthpiece against God. Again, we'll come back to them. Goliath, what did he do? He was a spokesperson for the for for basically it was Lucifer. He spoke the things against Israel that Lucifer put in his mouth to speak. And David recognized it and said, All right, you're already cursed because you have allowed this influence to come in and you have become that spokesperson. So in the same way that the serpent became cursed, in the same way that the king of Tyre became cursed, in the same way that the king of Babylon became cursed, and others, you are cursed. And David recognized it and just went in there to clean it up. Goliath is one. Judas. Judas is a close friend of God. He was one of the disciples. But the enemy kept speaking things to him, speaking things to him. We saw at one point, he says, why was this oil not sold? Not that he cared for the poor, but that he wanted the money in the, in the box because the devil has been talking to him. Steal. Take some of this stuff. Do this. And then he showed in his heart to betray the Savior. He eventually repented of that. Haman. How many, how many don't know who Haman is? Anybody not know who? It's okay to say, I don't know who Haman is. Everybody know who Haman is? Haman, of course, from the book of Esther. And he was a spokesperson for Lucifer in condemning the children of Israel and wanting to wipe out the entire group. And in fact, he set up a day in which the people around the kingdom could go out there and legally kill any Jew. And so the whole book is is about stopping that and getting that thing exposed for what it was. But Haman became that and he became cursed himself And he was hung on the very gallows that he prepared for Mordecai. Antichrist. I mean, isn't he the poster boy of all this? He becomes the spokesperson for the, for the devil in the end times. And what happens to him in the end? He gets cursed. Yes, there's a curse that is going to come upon the devil, but he individually gets cursed. In fact, Antichrist and the false prophet are the first entrances into the lake of fire. Now, we haven't seen the Antichrist and the, 
and the false prophet do anything yet. But when we're up in heaven and we're watching all this stuff going on, I'll bet you're going to be like me and say, burn, baby, burn. Can't wait for that to happen. We're bypassing hell. These are two people, the only two people who bypass hell and go right to the lake of fire and they're in there for a thousand years waiting for everybody else. By themselves. They got the whole place to themselves. Not a place that you want to have to yourself. Peter. Peter says all kinds of good things, but then he gets caught up because Jesus gives this message. He starts to teach them about Son of Man, he's going to suffer and be crucified and killed and buried. And on the third day, he will raise up. And Peter takes him aside and said, no, 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 this shouldn't be. Don't let this kind of stuff go coming out of your mouth. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. He speaks right to the force that is behind. Peter gave in to this force and became a spokesperson for the devil. And Jesus recognizes it and immediately speaks to it. The Judaizers who followed and persecuted Paul. These guys are not just content to be non-believers in Jesus Christ. They follow Paul. Wherever Paul goes, they follow him and they stir up the city against him. I mean, they, don't they have jobs? Why do they want to finance a trip to wherever Paul is and stir things up? Why do they want to do this? Because they have agreed to become a spokesperson for the devil to speak against everything that is being done by Paul to bring about the, the doctrine of the church, to, to start churches in all these areas. And they come directly against them. The demon-possessed girl who spoke against Paul or spoke about Paul. Well, she was being a spokesperson for the devil. And eventually Paul got tired of it or he saw into the spirit and he says, we cast out the spirit out of her. And when the people saw, well, we, we don't can't make no more money out of her, uh, they get mad and they come after him. Hey, but the people of Babylon, remember that story? All the world spoke one language. And so they all decided to make this tower. We're going to make it up to the heavens. Now, I'm sure God said, well, you're not going to quite be able to do that. <laughs> you're, you're not going to make it that, that high. But he said nothing's impossible to them. And this is where, of course, the languages came in. But there was one man at the head of all this. And this man was named was Nimrod. Nimrod brought in a false religion. In fact, the false religion had many of the parts of uh, Christianity to it. They had the, uh, uh, the son who was killed and raised back to life. A lot of the things that he started off in this religion have a lot of... I mean, you've never heard of the religion of Nimrod. I know sometime ago, years ago we, we went over all that and looked at that. There was even an, uh, an interaction between Esau and Nimrod. But um, I'm not here to get into all that sort of thing. But Nimrod... He became a spokesperson for the devil and promoted a false religion. That religion lasted all the way up until present. You will still see much of what he taught, much of what he did in that religion still finding its way into different uh, religions that are out there. But he became that. He, of course, became cursed. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, they became spokespersons for the things of the devil because he spoke to them and they brought corruption into the very house of God. Into the sacrifices that people would do. And uh, 
God was very displeased with this, and Eli was not taking the action that, uh, that he should, and God rebuked him for it, and he said, because you have not taken this action, they will die, and they died. Ananias and Sapphira. Now look at the verse, Acts chapter 5, verse 3. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Who filled their heart? Who did? Satan. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? They gave in to what the, what the devil spoke to them and they became spokespeople for this to lessen what God had been doing in the, in the area there. To lessen it, to pull that down. And they became a spokesperson for it. Now, we could spend more time. I could tell you more people than just these who were spokesperson for the things of the devil. They actually began to speak and to utter the words of the devil. Can you not make a case for Saul? King Saul. Was he not a spokesperson for... The, he was a spokesperson for the things of God. But then he became a spokesperson for the things of the devil. How about Jeroboam? How many of the kings of Israel, kings of Judah, became spokespersons for the things of God? Solomon became a spokesperson for the things of the devil. Was a spokesperson for the things of God. But then he began to bring idolatry into the land of Israel. Because he listened to who? Who did he listen to? His wives. Uh-huh. See. see, these themes, they're in the Word of God. They're all over the place. I don't usually give you these things in just one little place over here. They're, it's all over. It happened more times than that, too. Now, I have this question here for you. How many serpent events have occurred in your life? How many times in your life have you had a serpent-type person get into your life and begin to speak to you the words of darkness? Has that happened? Have you had these kind of things going on? Now, a serpent is not mindful of the things of the kingdom. He's not mindful of the things of the kingdom. Look over here at Mark chapter 8, 31, 33. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again, he spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around... And looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. A serpent is, a, is one who is not mindful of the things of God. Not mindful, that's number one. Not mindful of the things of the kingdom or the things of God. Have you had people come into your life who are not mindful of the things of God and have spoken things to you to get you off of what the kingdom of God is about or what God has moved you to do. To get you to, to we'll give you some examples here in just a little bit. Let me get you get you all this part. Here's the second one. A serpent speaks the things or the will of men and or darkness. So they are mindful of the things of darkness. And they speak the things or the will of men or darkness. So they're mindful. This is in their minds. They're thinking these things. And then they are speaking these things. When Eve got these words from the serpent, 
she became mindful of the things of darkness. It was in her mind. She was processing these things in her mind. And then she began to speak those things. And others have done the same thing. Here's the third one. They make proclamations against God and His Word. Goliath made a proclamation against God and His Word. Sennacherib made proclamations against God and His Word. Saul made proclamations against God. He made proclamations against the will of God. He made proclamations against the one who was anointed by God. Paul himself, when he was Saul, made proclamations against the church. But eventually he got on board. He was giving in to that. He was a spokesperson of the devil that God turned around. Now let's take a look here at Sennacherib and Rabshakeh. I'm not going to go over the whole chapter. These two chapters are really... You can pull a lot of things from it. But um, we're not going to go into all that. Second Kings 18, verse 22. I wrote down these verses. Therefore, you can go and look them up later on if you want to. I'm just going to read them. But if you say to me, We trust in the Lord our God... It is not he, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. So they know what's going on there. The devil knows what's going on. And he says, speak to it this way. Call into question Hezekiah's reforms. Now Hezekiah was taken away from the high places because God didn't want this. He didn't want the, the, the wrong types of worship going on. And Hezekiah was removing that. But the devil comes along and says, well, if you're going to say that God's going to do this, isn't he the one that Hezekiah has taken the worship away from? Oh, wait a minute. Let me think about that for a little bit. Have we taken away from the worship? We've always done it this way that I can remember. As long as I've been around, we've worshipped God this way. And, uh, wow, we're not doing that. How can we call on God if we're not doing the things that we've always done? And so they call that into question. That's a spokesperson for the enemy, for darkness. Verse 25, Have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Look at this thing that, that he says. I am here on the assignment of God. God has sent me to do what I'm doing. Wow. Have you ever had a serpent come into your life and try and speak things to you and tell you God has sent me God has told me. God has said, cease doing it. Don't go after this thing anymore and discourage you from doing the very thing that God had anointed you to do. Verse 29, Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand, from the, his king's hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. When Hezekiah says these things to you, don't believe it. Now, I read these things and I go right back to the garden. Has God said? That's what he's doing. We're calling into question what God has said. Let's call that into question. Verse 33. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Severim? And Hannah and Iva, indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from 
my hand. Basically saying this, all those other gods, those people thought their God would deliver them, but they didn't. Don't you think your God's going to do anything more? You may worship Him, you may serve Him, but your God is no better than they are. Boy, does that sound like the pit of hell. But He has given voice to it. Verse 19, uh, uh, verse 5 of chapter 19. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. And Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which, have, which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Hmm. So he says things like to, to them, but well, don't let God speak. Don't let Hezekiah say these things to you. How many times have you had a serpent come into your life and say things like, you will not be healed. How can you be healed of such a thing? You're not going to be healed of this. You don't have faith for that. You don't have the woman with the issue of blood. How many people do you think came into her life and were a serpent? Why are you putting all your hopes up and going and touching Jesus? Why are you doing You had all your hopes and all these other doctors before. Not a single one did anything for you. They just took your money. That's not going to work. They were serpents. They were speaking the things of darkness to her. But she didn't listen to them. She kept on going. Blind Bartimaeus. When he heard that it was Jesus, what's he say? Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. And the people said to him, Oh boy, you need a touch from God. Come on. Let's bring you up. No, what did they say? Be quiet. Hush. What are they doing? They are becoming spokespersons for the kingdom of darkness and they're speaking directly into his life. Why in the world did they get involved at all? Why don't they just shut up? Why don't they just go about their business? No, no, no. We've got to get involved here. We've got to get you to Stop this pursuit of Jesus. Why? Well, God doesn't do that kind of thing anymore. I know God used to, but God doesn't do that anymore. Why do you believe in God for that? Well, I just want to speak truth to you so that you are not disappointed. Anybody ever come to your life and say that to you? Well, I understand that you believe in God for this, but I just want to speak some truth to you so that you're not disappointed. They become a serpent. How many now can think of sometimes you got some serpents in your life? You got some people that are undermining the things of God in your life. You got some people that are speaking darkness instead of light. And they're sending you down the wrong path, pushing you down the wrong path. You got serpents in your life. You see, the only serpent the, the, the serpent was not just the one in the garden. I gave you several examples here of other serpents that have sh- that have shown up that they came against the light. They heard the words of darkness. They were not content to just hear those words, to meditate on those words. No, they had to get to the place where they spoke them out. If you were Peter, if you had those thoughts about Jesus, how many of you are just saying, hush, hush? You see, you're not a serpent if you just get those thoughts in your head and you don't speak them out. But the people in your life, they had those thoughts in their head 
And they feel perfectly fine to come on over to you and to say this to, to you. Job's wife was a serpent because she heard these words and she wasn't content just to hear them. She comes into Job and says, curse God and die. Sir, Sarah, Sarai, was so much wanting to, to have what she wanted to have that when darkness whispered in her ear, you can have a child this way. She meditated on that for a while and she got to a place where she spoke it out. She said it. She became a serpent speaking the things of God. How'd that work out for her? Well, when it didn't turn out so good, she said, it's all your fault. Now, if you were here for the spiritual, the spiritual armory series we did, you remember going over in Ephesians chapter 6? For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers, against, against, against. We spent some time on that word because that's a little tiny word that's used over a thousand times in the word of God. But that little word pros, anybody remember that one? A little word pros. It's not the word for against that you would think of, that you would use. This is the word that is used for something that is very close to you. And the idea that Paul is deploying, deploying here, just in a nutshell, is that there are going to be forces that are very close to you that are going to come and they're going to stand against you in the things of God. For Jesus, it was Peter and Judas. For Job, it was his wife. For Abraham, it was his wife. For Adam, it was Eve. And the list keeps on going. That most times in spiritual warfare, there's not someone who comes right up against you to challenge you and to take you out. It is someone who comes up to pretend to be your friend, to pretend to be one who is helping you. They are actually a serpent in your life. We've got serpents in our life. Sometimes we listen to them. If you want to get on Adam's case for listening, for listening to Eve, you want to get on Eve's case for listening to Adam. Get on your case for listening to the serpents that are in your life. Well, you know, when you get old, those things just kind of happen that way. Don't expect, you I mean, you're not a spring chicken anymore. You're not going to be able to do those things that you did. How old was Moses? He's wandering around the wilderness, climbing up mountains. 120. How old was Caleb when he went and took the mountains? Don't be listening to this sort of, sort of stuff. Stop giving in to it. Somehow, somebody has gotten into your life and they spoke serpent words and you received them. Well, your mama, your papa had those things going on in the, in the history. I love Jesse Duplantis. Jesse Duplantis was in a doctor's office. I may have put one of these wild on the on the Monday teaching, I'm not sure. But the doctor wanted to find out, you know, is there any cancer in your father's side? Nope, no cancer at all. Nope, nope. Because <laughs> his father's <laughs> God. He said, well, that's not exactly being truthful. Said, sure it is. I'm on my father. And so he, was, he hung on to that one. And it, because they, what they wouldn't do is they want to get your history. Well, you know, if your mom had this, it's very likely that you were going to have this too. That's being serpent, isn't it? We're, we're not speaking the things of God. 
we're speaking the things of darkness. And we're getting you to believe it. Now, you might think Jesus was awfully stern with Peter. But Peter's trying to take him out of the plan of God. And he says, I am not going to do that. And he was stern. Don't let them people get out there and to, and to do those kind of things. Now, I have to be real careful. I've got to make sure myself that I do not become a serpent for you. Because anybody, especially in a pastoral, you can become a serpent. And you can speak things that are wrong. Which is why I always keep taking myself back to the Word. I keep telling you all, how many times do I re reinforce with you the three pillars that I make sure that everything works on. First off, the Word of God teaches it clearly, often, and somebody did it. And whenever I teach you things, I teach you things that the Word teaches us clearly, often, and somebody did it. Because if I get away from that pattern, I'm going to start teaching some of these things that these other people have been teaching. And you can become a serpent. You don't want to become a serpent. I look around at some of the places that I have been, and um, there, are, there are many people in this world who gave in to the fear of masks. And they put masks on all the time. And, um, and I, I, everybody's in a different spot. I don't ever want to, I, don't, I did not one time try and point a finger at anyone here and say, well, you shouldn't be able to do that. Get it. But I point the finger at myself. Stephen, you will not ever have a mask on for these things. Because I cannot get out there and teach you the Word of God is here to overcome and show you that it's not. Because there's a certain thing that comes upon me for that. We got into the vaccines. I told you before the vaccine even got released. There was a particular uh, time. We, we spent time on a Wednesday night in February of 2020. And I spent time on the viruses, told you what the viruses are about, told you about vaccines. Because I am not ignorant on these things. I went to school for this stuff, and I still talk to people that are in the field. Keep myself up on it. I know what a vaccine is, and I know these things were not vaccines. I said they were not vaccines. I said in the beginning, I will not take this thing. I didn't try and condemn anybody who felt like they had to take it or took it because of their job or any such thing. But I cannot stand in front of you and say, do this. You can go out there and do it on your own. And I already told you, if, if you feel in your heart that this is okay to do, then you can go out there and you can do it. But I cannot do some things because of where I stand. And I have to make sure of that. And so we, we went that way. I ran into a whole lot of people. They put me, I, put, I didn't condemn them. You need to have a mask on? Go ahead and have a mask on. I'm not putting one on. But if you need one on, that's fine. That doesn't mean that, well, they're, they're obviously a sinner. They've given, no, no, no. Everybody's faith is in a different spot. Everybody's in a, has different, don't ever try and judge somebody else for how they're walking in their shoes. I can only judge me. But we were at a, we were at a church and I saw this pastor, pastor of a large church, and he's up there on the, the stage, mask on, mask off. Mask on, mask off. I don't understand that. I, I, just, I just didn't understand that. I said, no, set people an example. Be an example. And so I have to make sure that I go out there and do that. I got to make sure. You all know, I don't say certain words. I don't even hint at them. I don't give you the idea, well, I want to say this word and give you enough of it so you can figure it out. I don't do that. Because I don't think those words. I don't speak those words. But if you catch me outside here, you will find out I still don't speak those words and I don't say those words. And some of those words are perfectly fine. You, see, you may even say them. I don't care if you say them. I don't. For a certain reason. And I, I, I won't speak them. I won't, I've heard ministers say words that I won't say ever 
same in the pulpit. But I won't do it. Now, everybody's in a different spot. Don't ever condemn anybody because they got something that you didn't think they should get, because they wear something you don't think they should wear. Don't ever do that. Because then you are going to fall into the wrong thing. Don't even think it. I don't even think it. It's hard for me. Some, the, one, the biggest challenge I have is watching people drive in the car with the mask on when they're driving by themselves. <clears throat> I, I have to guard my, my thoughts because my thoughts are, you idiot. That's my thought. But I can't, no, no, no. Don't, you don't know where they're at. You don't know what's going on. Maybe they lost somebody really close to them. And you don't know what's going on. So, I, nope, stay out of that. Stay out. Don't be having those kind of thoughts. And I take myself out of it. Because I would be wrong to do that. Don't be, don't be doing it. I've had to get on my own case for a few times about that one. But has, here's this question. Have you ever been a serpent? Or could you now be one? Now, a serpent is mindful of the wrong things. Speak things from this mindset. You get the wrong mindset in. The Word of God says, guard your thoughts. Think on these things. You speak from this mindset, and then you make proclamations against the will, the Word, and the promises of God. Don't be doing that. Don't be going in those directions. Mindful of the wrong things, speak things from this mindset, and make proclamations against the will, the Word, and the promises of God. When you think about or speak to your co-workers, can you be a serpent? How many of you think about your co-workers in the wrong way? Yeah, those stinking co-workers. I wish they were just coming mindful of the wrong things. It doesn't take long before what happens. I start speaking it. You get into the break room. Did you see what? Come to begin to, to speak those things. We make declarations. Well, I don't think they'll ever. I don't think they should ever. I don't think they should have a job here. I don't think they should get a raise. You make declarations on these things. You can become a serpent. How about with your children? You mind for the wrong things? If you get mind for the wrong things, you'll speak the wrong things and you'll make declarations about those kids. Don't be doing it. How about your relatives? I mean, we all have perfect relatives, don't we? I mean, I'll have a couple of those relatives that are in your, in your life. You wish they weren't. You wish they were not there. But because they're relatives, you know you're going to have to see them again down the road. We got to go see Uncle So and So. We got to see Aunt. We got to see Cousin. Oh, I don't like it when I. I don't want to go. We can become a serpent. In these, God called you to be a light. You should be thinking good things. And when you get in there, instead of letting Uncle, Aunt, Cousin, whatever, say the stuff and change the, just get on in there and change it yourself. Well, I don't know if I'm bold enough to do that. Pray God for some boldness. I like to. Uh, I forget who it was. Uh, um, somebody was, was saying, it may have been Jesse. It may have been Jerry Savell. I'm not, not sure. But they were in an elevator and somebody was cussing God. Just saying, you know, all these, these cuss words about God. And so he just started, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. And the person who was cussing stopped. And they looked at him and said, well, if you're going to curse them, I demand equal time. I'm going to praise them. And they just kept praising them. Well, if you get in there, 
you know that they have been, how many have relatives that have been obnoxious and you cannot be, a, you can't stand to be around them? How many, come on, raise your, be honest. My hand is up. You got some relatives, they are obnoxious, they are rude. Be just that back for good. Stop sitting there and taking the darkness. But be a spokesperson for good. Listen to the voice of your spirit. Become mindful of the things of God. Don't become mindful of your flesh and speak out of that good things. It, it, it won't be the right thing. Think on what the Word of God says to think on and then speak out of that. You'll make some declarations over them and uh, you'll make them uncomfortable. But you'll minister to them. They may even come back around. Why did you say that about me? How, what were you seeing? Well, you see, I can see what God can do for you. And God will show me a picture of what He can do. Really? You see that about me? You can change the whole thing. Stop being in an atmosphere that you don't like. Get into one. Change it. Change it. You'll eventually get to the place where either the people change their behavior in front of you or they stop inviting you. Either way is a win. That's all right. How about your spiritual leaders? You have wrong, wrong thoughts about that? You speak in wrong things? How about your natural leaders? How about your friends, your church family? We can get mindful of the wrong things. We can speak things from that mindset and make proclamations that are wrong. You can be moved to become a serpent in their lives by thinking and speaking things outside of the mind of God. If you don't have the mind of God on a thing, shut your mouth. Just shut it. Don't speak it. Now, this doesn't mean that everything that comes out of your mouth is positive. Well, I just can't say all these positive things about all these people. Is everything that came out of Jesus' mouth positive? How many can think of a couple of negative things that Jesus said? Mm -hmm. How many can think of a few negative things that Paul said? How many can think of a few negative things that Peter said? Get into the history books, you'll find some negative things that John said. You'll find some negative things that James said. Mm -hmm. And they were said by the Spirit of God. Now look at the prophecies that were just we went over. How many of those things were all positive? Some of them were negative, weren't they? Just because you have the mind of God does not mean that you speak positively about everything. There are times that you're going to get up in somebody's face and you are going to speak what God put inside you and it's going to be strong. But God needs you to say it to wake them up. Go through the prophecies of Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Look at how many negative things they had to say in addressing the people of Israel. They had to do some negative things. Just because you have the mind of God doesn't mean that everything is sunshine. Sometimes God's going to have you speak something to wake somebody up. Oh, yeah, I can't wait for that. Oh, yeah, I go and get over there with aunt, aunt so-and-so, uncle so-and-so, and I'm going to speak what the Word of God says to them. Don't get in your flesh. Stay in your spirit. Stay in the spiritual way of doing this. And you will find out you won't dread going into those places anymore. They may dread having you come on by. But you won't dread it. But don't be a serpent. Don't be a serpent. Don't receive things that the world has to say. Don't receive them. Stay mindful of the things of God. You get mindful of the things that the world has to say. 
It'll change what you do. Don't be a serpent. Don't just point the finger in Genesis chapter 3 and say that serpent. Don't be one. Don't be that to somebody else's life. Don't be a, wives, don't be a serpent to your husbands. Husbands, don't be a serpent to your wives. Don't be a serpent to your children. Don't be a serpent to your co-workers. Don't be a serpent to the people that are in your household. Don't be one. Stay mindful of the things of God. Speak the things that God wants you to speak. And make proclamations based on those things. And you won't be a serpent. I hope you can see that this serpent mentality is a lot more widespread than just this one time in the garden. And that you can very easily be brought into it. And maybe even have. Don't do it. Repent of them. That's all you can do. Peter, he had to repent. All right, I was a serpent. He had to repent. And he went on and did great things for God. Don't get under condemnation because, well, I know I was a serpent here. I did a serpent thing here. If Peter can get over it, you can get over it. Would you all stand up with me? Well, Father, there may be serpents in our life. But just as we expected Eve to identify that this was the wrong thing and not going that direction, you expect us to identify these things in our life that we would not give in to them. We would stand up against them. And if a serpent has appeared in our life and is speaking against us and the things that God has called us to, that God wants us to do, that we can stand up just as Jesus did. Get behind me, Satan. This is serious business that we do not let the words of darkness be spoken so that we receive them. But we speak the words of light. We stay in the kingdom of life. I thank you for it. Very head bowed. If you're here today and you say, I've got serpents in my life. I just didn't realize that I had them until now. But I see some serpents in my life and they've been steering me in the wrong direction. Raise your hand. I just want, I'm not going to call you out, but I just want to pray over you. I can ask you to raise your hand on this one. But if you've ever been a serpent for other people, repent and get going. Remorse has no place here. Repent and get going. Father, you see the holy, you see the hands of those that were raised here? I thank you that you have identified some serpents in their life and there's other people maybe they haven't seen the serpent just yet. But we're looking for it now. Just as we expect Eve and Adam to have done something with that serpent, we will do something with the serpents in our life. And we will make sure that we do not become a serpent ourselves. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.